Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you have any questions for our guests, there are many ways you can contact the show. You can post a question on our wall on Facebook, Skype us, send us a tweet on Twitter to at The Organic View, or you can contact me directly at June Stoyer. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. On today's show, Kayla Fiorvanti will be my guest to talk about her new book, How to Self-Publish, The Authorpreneur's Guide to Publishing. She will share tips that advocates and activists should know when self-publishing. Good afternoon, Kayla, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, June. Kayla, can you share a little bit about yourself with our audience? Yeah, I have a long history as a small business owner, and um, but my dream has always been to be a writer. About two years ago, my husband and I sold our business, and I had an opportunity to retire from my traditional job and go full-time into being a wife, mother, and author. So it's been a great experience and a big dream, you know, since college. I actually had a professor who wrote in my uh, on my very final paper in advanced fiction writing, he wrote, I hope you marry rich, and that's all he wrote. And I was just furious because I was ready for feedback and, and, you know, correction and editing and direction, and that's all it said. And I stomped into his office, and I was like, what is up with this? Why did you just write, I hope you marry rich? How insulting. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's that I think you're such a gifted writer that I – I hope you marry rich so that all you can do is write. So now I'm getting to follow that dream. Kayla, can you tell our audience exactly how much time you spend writing at this point? And for people who want to be able to follow in your footsteps and write full time, how much time should they set aside to write? You know, you should spend a little bit of time writing or being inspired or learning or growing in in your industry every single day. So I try and put at least an hour worth of that sort of effort into my day every day. But as a small business owner, which is what you become as an author today, I also need to do my marketing and I need to do my social media and editing and work for, I do private writing for other um, magazines as well. So I, I spend a good amount of time, you know, keeping my name out there as as a writer in that format as well. So it's a little bit of a mix in today's world of publishing. Can you share with our audience what exactly an authorpreneur is and why it's important to really treat this as a business? Yeah, well, becoming an author today is pretty much like opening a small business. Even if you're not self-published, you have to do an incredible amount of work that um, – it used to be that your publicist did and all that sort of thing. So in today's market, but especially for self-published self people, you need to write. You need to do some of your early editing. You become the publisher and the publicist and the social media manager and so much more. So there's quite a bit involved in becoming an author these days, which is you know, business-related. So it's, and it's really important because you could write a book and get it out there, but if you're not doing all the marketing and, and all the parts that normally a publisher would do for you, your book's just going to be sitting there and, you know, on Amazon or whoever you publish through, you know, just getting the people who happen upon it, which actually is more people than most people have, you know, as an everyday contact. If I fall behind on my 
promotions, my books still sell because they're sitting on Amazon, and when people are shopping, they're going to come up as suggestions. So once you start getting a history of, of books up there, you become more and more common of a suggestion for Amazon. Thank you. With your book, you had a very large staff that assisted you with this book. Do you really need such a large staff? And also, what do you do if, if you're flying solo? Well, I actually was flying solo. I wrote the book on my own. I got the idea in February at a uh, business meeting, actually, where we were being inspired and, and, and helping each other um, brainstorm. And so I got that idea in February. I sat down in March to write it, and then I had published already four other books and had gone several different routes in editing while doing that. But this time I was inspired to try crowdsourced editing. And so what I did was I had had people involved in the whole process of me writing this book. I was telling them what I was doing and I was getting ideas on titles and chapters and all this sort of thing from people. So they were already engaged in the process of me writing this book. So when I put out there that I was interested in crowdsourcing and finding some beta testers who would be willing to be editors for me for free, basically. They would get a free book that's signed and my and my gratitude for forever. And I ended up getting um, 27 people who volunteered to do that and followed me through all the way, did multiple rounds of editing. And in the book I teach you, in, in my book, How to Self-Publish, I, I tell you exactly how to do that, how to merge all the documents together so that you're just working on one document and accepting the edits and making choices and, and getting the feedback all in one place. So it's a fabulous way to go. It's a lot of managing people. You can go with amateur editors. You can go with professional editors. No matter what, you need to edit, and not you edit, and you need to have an editor. And even after that, it's good to have extra sets of eyes to read because you become far too familiar with your work, and you really just don't see the errors anymore. And the same can happen to your editors as well. So it's a really important aspect of it. And if you, you know, can't afford it, I, I give several suggestions in my book about how to do crowdsourcing, how to do um, using an amateur editor, friends, family, and then all the way from going to finding a professional editor and sources for that for you. Thank you. Kayla, what are some of the legal pitfalls that come with self-publishing? Well, when you write something, no matter where you write it, the first time you write it, it's copyrighted. So you don't necessarily need to go get a copyright. It gives you, you know, a teeny tiny bit of, of legal standing, but very little because legally what you write is yours immediately. You need to kind of have just the same sort of common courtesy as you would have in social media and on your blog and places like that in making sure that everything you say is accurate, isn't slander, isn't anything, you know, that would um, harm somebody else. And you know, having a group of editors or a group of people who read your stuff, those are the people who will talk you off the ledge too. So if you're you know, ranting about something you're really passionate about and in your rant you're kind of digging in on, on a certain group of people, those sorts of pe- your, your editors should help you tone that in. So by the time you get to the end of a book and the process of it, you shouldn't really have any legal issues that, um, that are going to harm you in the long run. One of the things that I'd like to interject into this topic, especially since 
the Organic View has reached a global audience of 3 million listeners, and I have so many people that are sending me copies of their books. They want me to read their books to do interviews, so on and so forth. I find that a lot of people are dying to become a published author, be recognized for what they know, but there are a lot of people out there that don't take the time to do the research whether it's advice on environmental issues, on health-related issues, so on and so forth. And while their belief systems may be genuine, if, they, if the individual does not do their homework and actually find the information to support their position, that's one of the areas where I see a huge legal problem that could mm-hmm. come about. I've had a number of people that profess to be experts on all sorts of different subjects and their advice seems to be great but when you take a look at the big scope of things for example there was one gal who was trying to say you know, for Halloween you want to create all of your own goodies that you want to give out to the kids this and that mm. well what about the kid who has peanut allergies and you happen to include something that was processed or happens to contain peanut oil or some type of peanut product, you're putting that Mm -hmm. child's life in jeopardy. So therefore, the information, as well as it may have intended to be, was not appropriate because that could have caused a problem down the road for somebody who took this person's advice and just ran with it. So I caution people, before you put something out there, make sure you see things not only from your perspective, but how it can affect other people. The same thing with different situations that involve horticulture or they're giving advice about animals. You may have a great idea about something, but it may not comply with a local regulation. So it's important to really do the research and find out from a legal perspective if what you are advocating really can create some sort of legal problem for someone somewhere down the road. Yes, definitely. I agree. You also should, in the very front of your book, have a notice of liability and disclaimer that goes through, you know, that you've done everything you can to have everything accurate, but that you're not held liable for anything or any misuse of information contained in the book. One of the biggest problems with publishing any type of original content is plagiarism. There's a term called content scraping that is referred to as far as people that will go to your website, go to your book, whatever the case may be, they'll even steal pictures, claim them as their own, And no attribution, no nothing. And I've had it done by so many big sites that rip off my content. And it infuriates me because of the fact that I work incredibly hard. I do my own research. I'm very careful about what I put out there as an advocate and also as executive producer. I'm very particular. I don't quote somebody, I don't mindlessly take someone else's word for something, I actually do the research. And Mm -hmm. when you're trying to battle these content scrapers, it can become a full-time job. What do you recommend people do to put certain protocols in place to avoid at least a small portion of it? You can't avoid it entirely, but at least you can do some things to protect yourself. 
Right. Well, I know right off your your work is immediately copyrighted when you write it. But the other thing is that you should put in the beginning of your book saying, you know, that all the rights are reserved and that none of the part, no parts of the book, not even quotes, and you can go really into detail about what your is allowed without or with permission. So, and you give them an email address to send you, send you something. So you have the backup that you put in writing what is expected to quote you. And then when people do, you know, I get quite a few emails saying, may I quote you, and asking for permission. And when I write things, I'm quoting somebody or referencing somebody, I also write them and ask them for permission to do it as well. And, you know, keep that on record. And, you know, that's the common courtesy, and that's what, you know, most people should and, you know, they should be doing. But unfortunately, there's quite a few unscrupulous people out there who will who will copy your work still. And, you know, at this point, if I find something or somebody emails me something and says, this is straight out of your book or straight off your website, I normally email the people and let them know, including my picture. And most of the time, I'll get an apology and either credit it on it, you know, and they'll write back and say, may I use it but credit you? And we'll have a discussion about whether it needs to be removed or not. Some of the times, you know, they just ignore you and, and there's nothing you can do. You could get a lawyer and you could go after them, but even the big publishing houses aren't doing that anymore. I have a friend who published a book around the same time as me and somebody just took a whole chapter of her book and put it on their website as, as theirs and their publisher wrote and said, this is our content. Um, but that was only as far as they were going to go was, you know, just writing the letter. They weren't going to go get legal action because you just can't get the money back you know, the money back that it costs you to um, hire a lawyer. But, you know, when you see it, talk to people, and most of the time it's a, um error or, or a lack of knowledge of how to properly cite information. And then otherwise, it's try not to worry about it. Like when I did my research for my aromatherapy book, I was double-checking all my own work, and I found my own work copied and pasted all over the Internet that I had, you know, my original writings. So, I, you know, at, at one point I wrote a few and then I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, there was so much work. So I just polished my own work so that it was even better and did even deeper research so that what you got from me was better than the things you were getting in cut-and-paste documents on other people's websites. One of the most effective approaches that I found is to execute a Digital Millennium Copyright Act notification, otherwise referred to as a DCMA notice takedown. Mm -hmm. And basically, folks, the way that this works is if you find that someone has scraped your content, to put it mildly, you first begin by asking them nicely, hey, could you please take this down or could you please give me credit mm -hmm. as well as a link to my site? Usually, people are more than willing to do that. If they do not, what I recommend that you do is you find out who is hosting their website and you go straight to their hosting provider. I've done this and I've been kind of notorious about it and I've had a number of people actually get in trouble with their hosts because the hosts are very accommodating. They don't want any legal headaches and you can actually have somebody's account shut down by their hosting provider. If it turns out that the hosting company that they're using is simply a reseller, 
what you do is you basically go to the main hosting company for that reseller. And once again, they are more than happy to accommodate you. They usually have a, what's called a DCMA form on their website where you can complain about abuse and give them a couple of days. And usually technicians are pretty good about it and they will get back to you. If they don't, keep contacting them until they do. I've only had a few situations where I had people that refused to do it, but once you get the hosting company involved, usually the host will accommodate you. Beyond that, the cost of a lawyer, it gets very expensive. People seem to think that lawyers are answers for everything, but there are really not many lawyers that handle these types of issues. So if you can handle it yourself, try it. It can become a full-time job, but at least try to make some sort of an attempt. One of the positive things of writing a book is that people are a lot really lazy, and they like to just copy and paste from your website, and they will rarely type it up and go to the effort of, you know, of rewriting it themselves. It's a little less common once you're in print than it is when you're on a website. And also with Kindle, you're able to choose to have that protected so that they can't copy and paste it as well. Thank you. Kayla, what are some of the common myths about self-publishing? I mean, there are a lot of people out there who think, oh, well, you know something, it's going to be such a big hassle. There are so many things that I'm going to have to deal with. Could you just share a little bit of your wisdom with our audience? Yeah, I think the biggest myth is that it's really expensive because once upon a time, self-publishing was very expensive. You had to buy all the books in advance and have them, um, you know, stored in your garage, and and then you had to mail them out yourself and everything. But in today's publishing, I basically only order if I'm going to go speak someplace and I want to have a couple on hand to sell. But otherwise, Amazon and CreateSpace handle all my my books, and I don't have to order a single copy. So. I don't even see until the end of the month how many books sold because they handled the printing, the mailing, and then they just write me a check at the end of every month. So that's one of the biggest myths is how expensive it is. And a lot of people really just feel like it's just an overwhelming task. And it can be, you know, if you look at the whole big picture of it all at the same time, like I've got to write the book, I've got to edit the book, I've got to find editors – and basically, I mean, it's just like anything else. You just have to go one step at a time because you, you can't do all the phases at the same time. And as you work through the book, through um, the book, basically in my book, I give you a list of do this and then do this and then do this at the very end after I taught you how to do it all. I basically give you a checklist. Go here, here, do this. I think it's, I think it's called um, self-publishing in 130 steps. And some of those steps are just me reminding you, now breathe, keep writing, you know, so... So there aren't really 130 steps, but they're just ones where I'm kind of keep reminding you that as you're doing this, you should be building your platform, you should be um, talking about your book and things like that. You know, other myths, I think there's quite a few. You know, originally people thought of, of self-publishing as vanity publishing, where you just felt you had something so important to say that you and no publishers would touch it. But today most publishers will only pick up a very, very small handful of writers and the entire publishing industry has been turned upside down by Amazon and what they created. Now, you know, it's wide open and there is no shame anymore in self-publishing. It's a great opportunity and it gives you full 
ownership of your work. So what you've written is copyrighted to you. You own it. If something changes in what you're advocating, there's some big step that's happened, you're able to put that into the book immediately. You can just write it, edit it, and upload it in, the, in 24 hours. The book now tells the updated information. So there's so much control that is just amazing for the author. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. I know that there are a lot of people that have always wanted to self-publish, especially since there are so many wonderful activists and advocates out there that have a lot to offer, I guess, the whole world of social media as well as so many people who have mutual interests. Your book, How to Self-Publish, The Authorpreneur's Guide to Publishing, is such a wonderful resource. Kayla, could you share with our audience your website, yeah, it is um, www.kayla, K-A-Y-L-A, Fioravanti, F as in Frank, I-O-R-A, V as in Victor, A-N-T-I. So it's kaylafioravanti.com. Thank you. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Please pick up a copy of Kayla's book, How to Self-Publish, The Authorpreneur's Guide to Self-Publishing. Have a great afternoon, Thanks everyone. Thanks for having me.